I want you to think back to a time early on in your life when you were a child, when you were a teenager. And I want you to think about an adult in your life who made an impact on you. An adult who spoke into your life, who encouraged you. It doesn't have to be a parent. It could be a coach. It could be a guidance counselor, teacher. Who was that adult in your life that made a positive impact, that you know that you are part of who you are today because of that person? Well, the reality is, is there are some children who grow up in our country and uh, and around the world who don't have an adult that speaks into their life like that. And my guest today, he had somebody who was like that for him as a young boy. And so he is in turn changing the lives of thousands of young people by paying it forward. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. And this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an incredible person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only with their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Michael Arterberry. Michael is the executive director of Youth Voices Center Incorporated and the creator of the Power of Peace program. Michael began his tenure working with youth by obtaining a bachelor's degree in social work from Iona College. And in founding YVC in 2008, Michael drew heavily on his own understanding and empathy for the pressures and difficulties of the teenage years. In addition to his own experiences growing up in poverty, Michael has worked with thousands of teens in a range of settings over the past 24 years as a social worker and counselor. As a teenager, Michael himself was was fortunate to receive guidance from positive adult role models who helped him to overcome adversities and set high expectations for his future. Also, I wanted to let you know that Michael recently uh, released his book, Be Encouraged, 250 Days of Motivation and Encouragement again. And this time it is totally free. Plus he has launched his new course called the Shake the Dirt Experience. And you can find the free book along with the Shake the Dirt Experience course information at shakethedirtexperience.com. I am telling you, I loved my time with Michael. I mean, from pretty much the moment he started talking, my mouth was just agape (laughs) and I was just in awe of his story, his relatability, his encouragement. Let me tell you, this is one that you're going to want to listen to probably more than once. So you are going to love this conversation. So without further ado, on to my conversation with Michael. Michael, sir, I am so honored to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. Yes, yes. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you and your audience. I, the moment that I first came across you and your work, uh, you were immediately somebody that I was like, I want to have a conversation with this guy. Um, I just love what you are doing and I love your story. And I am beyond excited to introduce you uh, to the listeners because I know they're going to fall in love with you. Uh, So Michael, will you give us the Michael 101? Tell us who you are, what you do, and kind of how you got to where you are today. All right. So uh, I have an interesting way of kind of uh, letting people peek behind the curtain. Uh, I want to tell a story. And the story correlates and connects to who I am and what I do. And it's about a farmer and a donkey. 
all right? And this donkey is one of his favorite farm animals because once he finishes working with the donkey on the fields, he brings the donkey back to the house and he allows the donkey to play with his kids. So imagine he's coming off the farm, he's coming down the driveway, they come running out, they play with him, they wash him, they ride him, you know what I mean, pet him. And then once he's done, he releases him back out to the farm and they go inside, they eat dinner and they get ready for bed. And this is more like a normal ritual that they do. One night he brings them home, they do their thing with the donkey, he releases them back out into the farm, but during the night he wanders and falls into an empty water well. So when he falls into the empty water well, of course he's a donkey, can't get out, he's stuck and he just makes donkey noises. But the farmer the next morning whistles for him, realizes he's not coming, and so he's searching around the farm to find him. So he's looking around, he's looking around, He finally hears him making donkey noises at the bottom of the empty water well. So they walk over to the well. He walks over to the well. He's like, how am I going to get him out? So he gets six of his buddies. He brings them to the well. And they're like, how are we going to get him out? So one of his buddies suggested that they're going to pull him out with some rope. So all six of them got rope and they start lassoing the donkey. They throw the rope. They miss him. They throw the rope. They miss him. They finally throw it by his hind legs. He steps into the rope. They shimmy it up his body and they start pulling. They pull the donkey moves. They pull the donkey moves. They pull the donkey moves. Then halfway up the well, they realize that the donkey's too heavy. So they lower him back to the bottom of the well. And now the farmer has to make a grim decision. Now, see, he can't feed him food at the bottom of the well that he would feed his family because that wouldn't make any sense. He can't starve him because he's more like a pet. So he's like, "Ah, no, guys, I can't really starve him. One of his hot-headed friends were like, hey, just shoot him. He's like, nah, I can't do him. Do that, that's too violent. So one of his more reasonable friends said, listen, you don't want your kids to fall into the well. So we're going to all get shovels and we're going to have to bury him. Now, you're going to bury him with the dirt so your kids don't fall in. You're going to sacrifice your donkey, but you don't have to worry about your kids. The farmer could deal with that. So they all get shovels and they start shoveling the dirt. And every time that dirt would hit the donkey, the donkey would scream. And every time he would scream, it would cause the farmer some distress. So you got dirt, scream, dirt, scream. And then all of a sudden, the screams stop. When the screams stop, they give the donkey a moment of silence. But then they go back to work. Dirt, dirt, dirt. Next thing you know, you see the donkey's right ear. Dirt, dirt, dirt. Next thing you know, you see half the donkey's body. Dirt, dirt, dirt. The next thing you know, that donkey walks right out of the well that he fell into. So check this out, Molly. Every time that dirt came across the wall, it would fall on his back. He would shake it off. And he would step on it. And he took every scoop of dirt that was meant to kill him to save his life. Now, I say that to you because I am the donkey. And let me tell you some of my dirt. I grew up in a home with a raging alcoholic father. And he raged from the time I was born until the time he died when I was 16. Now, I put raging in front of it because if you just say an alcoholic father, people don't understand. This man raged. And it created an environment that I never had a day of peace in my entire life. What I mean by that is I could get lost in fun, get occupied in fun, but sometime during that day, something was going to tap me on the shoulder and it was going to remind me of what I was going to go home to when I went home that night. On top of living with a raging alcoholic dad, I lived in poverty. Now, both my parents worked full time, but my dad's money went to drinking My mom was a housekeeper. She cleaned people's homes. And so 
her money went to raising four kids. So you figure housekeeping salary is not much money. So, you know, we didn't have much, you know, we had love. She loved us tremendously. So there was a lot of love, but there was not a, not a lot of finances. As far as dysfunction, I had the dysfunction in my home, but my neighborhood didn't help. So the people that lived in my neighborhood had similar homes like myself. And so we ended up kind of raising each other with false systems to deal with our dysfunction rather than really trying to move forward and getting out of it. At least they did. And then, you know, last but not least, you know, crime, gangs, all those things were happening in my community. But what's powerful about my story, and that's why I stepped back and I said they did, I was able to grow up in that environment and not allow any of that stuff to seep in and create a person from that type of profile. And I use that to do what I do. So I call myself the master encourager. And what I do is I, I, I have this passion of wanting to see people shake their dirt like I was able to shake my dirt. And God has given me the ability that I can sense it, I can feel it, and I can make sense out of something that sounds like just craziness in your head. You know, and so I do that with young people with the youth development program that I developed called Power of Peace in my nonprofit Youth Voices Center. And then I do it at the mic and at the podium with adults as well. I think this is probably one of the first times that I'm like truly speechless. Here we are in like the first five minutes of the show and I have tears streaming down my face. I'm blown away. Thank you for that story. Um, thank you for the, the way that you uh, so just beautifully illustrated the life that you have lived. And I love the image of, because uh, while you were telling that story, I'm like, this is the saddest story of this donkey. <laughs> and I am like, I don't know this donkey, but I'm crying for this donkey because this donkey's, this donkey's squealing. He's just down the well. And then to see that the image in my mind's eye of this donkey shaking the earth off of its back and using it to prop itself up and what was you know meant for harm I mean, I think of that, there's that verse of scripture that says like what, what you meant for evil, God used for harm. I and mean, I think of uh, Joseph in the, in, in the Old Testament. And so, I, you know, obviously you have, uh, I, you know, you share very candidly about where you come from and, and how you are using, you know, in a lot of ways, you're using that dirt now to, to impact the next generation and, and to show other kids what they are capable of. And you're, you're able to do it in a way where you're able to relate to them and, and especially kids who maybe are growing up in a similar situation to what you grew up in. What for you was the turning point? Where along the way did you realize that you were using the dirt to lift yourself up and you didn't let the dirt bury you? What was it for you? You know, this is going to sound really strange. Um, it's not until I got well into my career. What I was able to do growing up, God gifted me with the ability to be an elite athlete. Mm -hmm. So what my mom did coming from, an, you know, I don't want to say African-American, but a home where counseling was not even a question. Mm. So what she did to offset some of the chaos in the house is she got me into sports. So I remember mm. at the age of eight, she started me in soccer and she rotated soccer, basketball, baseball and football till I graduated high school. I played all four. Um, when I graduated, so I'm a senior now in high school and I could have went to gone to college to play for any four sports, but I picked football, which was my favorite. Now I tell you that because what I was able to do is I was able to live in that craziness, but create a traditional family by the resources that I have from the outside. 
So my father figures became my coaches. Yeah. My teammates became my brothers and sisters. And the accolades that you would get from a parent to push you to continue to strive to be positive came from the people that love to watch me play. And so I end up going through that cycle and not being poisoned by my situation because I was really in my mind living in the house just like a normal individual. Now, I would have to deal with the craziness when I went home. But, you know, the thing that's terrible is uh, and connected with like domestic violence. You know, the crazy was so crazy that I, you get to the point where it, it, it just doesn't affect you. You know, yeah. him coming in and bugging out and acting crazy, to, it just became normal. Yeah. You know, it was sickening to say, but it did. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, um, I realized once I got into my career and I started putting my curriculum together that, um, you know, all things were done for a reason. Once I became, you know, I gave my life to Christ, I really knew. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I got a full awareness. You know, it was really an earth shattering moment when um, I was studying the word and it was talking about how the enemy peeks into your future. Mm. And when he sees what you're about to get from God, he, he, you know, he can try to, he can't stop it, but he can get in your path. And so when I look back over my story, he peeked into my future. He saw the influence that I was going to have on the world. And he tried to take me out. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. you know, I was able to shake it and overcome it. And, you know, I just want to say this, that I don't only relate and help change kids that come from my environment. Yeah. You know, in my groups, I have honor roll students. Mm -hmm. And the gift that I have doesn't just speak to the ghetto. Yeah. You know, I think survival and being resilient speaks to anybody in the world. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, I certainly, um, I, I was a high school teacher for a couple of years when I first graduated college. And uh, it was in a unique place in Richmond because I, I had a kind of wide range of demographic of students. I had students that were coming from Section 8 housing, and I had students that were coming from, you know, some of the poorest of the poor areas. And then I also had students who were living in these mega mansions in, in Richmond. So it was a really kind of just very uh, socioeconomically diverse school and, and student population. And yeah, I mean, a lot of the students that were coming from these quote unquote perfect homes and, you know, quote unquote, uh, amazing families, uh, they were fighting some of the darkest demons that I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and it, it, I mean, I think about like, I am so grateful that I did not, I was not a teenager in the age of social media. <laughs> I, I mean, they're fighting so many demons. You know, if the amount that I was bullied in elementary school and there was no such thing as the internet at the time, I cannot imagine what that would have been like with the amplification of the internet and social media. I can't imagine it. Yeah. So, yeah, so absolutely. That I love that that you're really using that as a, as a way to, to impact so many different types of kids and, and, and to really help speak into their lives and yeah, all of that. So, so you started uh, Youth Voices Center in 2008. Right. Um, what did that, you know, where did the idea come from? And, and, you know, how did you get it started? So, and you'll love this, the, you know, most people love this story, but uh, being a believer, you're really going to love this story. <laughs> so um, I say that because uh, I ended up taking my life story, going off to college to be a social worker, um, so I took social work as my major. So I mixed the academics with, with um, my life story 
And so I was able to, you know, become this social worker that be, I was really having an impact on the youth. But I would be given curriculums by agencies I worked for, and the curriculums wouldn't work. And then I would get in trouble when the curriculums didn't work. So I find it's like, listen, rather than getting in trouble, I'm going to create my own. And so I was working for a nonprofit, um, and I created a curriculum, which I call Power of Peace, which I took some information from a program I went through. They have like tons of manuals of information. So I took some of their stuff, some of my own customized stuff, mixed it together. And I created this two full day program that I bring into high schools that helps to move uh, students. I go, I'm working for a nonprofit and um, they pay me a salary to do the program. So I'm doing the program for a salary. And then my, my boss, I don't know what overcame her, she showed me how much money was coming into the agency, but it was nowhere close to what they were paying me. So I'm like, wait a second, you're getting all this money for what I do and you're only giving me that little salary? So she didn't understand what she had done, but then she took me to a lunch to meet a philanthropist and that I was to schmooze the philanthropist to get more money. So imagine sitting at a, a lunch table, uh, like in a restaurant and you have the philanthropist, her lawyer, my boss, and then the guy that writes the grants for my nonprofit. Everyone talks at the table, then they kick it to me. Now, underneath the table, I have cheat notes with the accolades of the program. So when it kicks to me, I'm about to read the cheat notes, Molly. Molly, I crumble up the cheat notes. I drop it on the floor. And I say to this lady, don't worry about your money because the person that I'm most accountable to is God. Oh. Now, well, yeah, yeah, but check it out, though. When I said it, my boss, she's a Caucasian woman. Her first face turned purple because she's like, did this guy just drop God at a table for a business one? <gasps> the grand guy, he looks like, Michael, I can't believe you did this. Her lawyer is laughing hysterically. And so I'm sitting there waiting for it to simmer. And finally, when it felt like forever, the lawyer says, Michael, I just want to tell you something. Her name was Pat. She's a devoted Christian. So I stepped out on faith at a dinner with a devoted Christian with a pocket full of money. Now, let me just real quickly tell you, at that time, she didn't just pull me out. What she did is she would meet me for breakfast, just a fellowship. And we would meet and have fellowship. And every time she would meet me, she was a bigwig. She would bring me like heavy duty Christian people, like, like stars. Yeah. And I would just be baffled. So finally, I got up the courage to ask her to give me all the money and not the agency. She didn't realize it was my program. She thought I did a good program for the place. Mm -hmm. So being a good woman, she says, I'll give you half. Take yours on the road. I'll keep half with the agency so they're not mad at me and you, you can go. I didn't want to do half. So I told her, don't tell them. And I just continued to meet her for breakfast. But she did her own research. And I got there one morning. And before I can put my butt on the chair, she says, Michael, guess what? I know it's your program. She says, I'll give it all to you. <sighs> She'll give you, and, and I'll tell you this, and I'll finish. She was given $200,000 a year to this agency. She said she'll give it all to me. And I'll never forget, she had an uh, executive from a record label there, big Christian record label. Because when she said she'll give it to me, I was going to back out. I was afraid. I was going to say, no, no, I don't really want it. And that executive <laughs> director looked at me, the, uh, and he says, what would your kids say? if they ever knew that this woman gave you this opportunity and you pass it up. And I left there, um, you know, she told me, don't worry about money, get the best lawyers, set up your nonprofit. I'll wire you the money. 
And uh, 2008, I stepped out on my own. And uh, for the first eight years, I didn't have to get money from schools. I just come in if you were a principal and I like your vibe, I would tell you, listen, free of charge. That is absolutely amazing. I love how you you talked about how you just just stepping out in faith and and putting something out there that was really risky. I mean, you were risking it all. You were just like, all right, this is basically a poker table and I'm going all in. That's it. That's I'm it. I'm going all in. Yeah. And you you I mean, I think about um Again, like taking it right back to scripture, I think about like the man who was entrusted with a little, like God can, like he'll also entrust you with even more. And so like you, it's like you took the talents and you, instead of burying it in the sand, you went and invested it and and God just threw open the floodgates of heaven um, of blessing on you. Uh, It's just what an incredible, incredible story. Yeah, 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 it was phenomenal. And, you know, I was a baby Christian. So yeah. it was good that it happened as a baby Christian. If I was a little bit more mature, <laughs> I would have been more calculated. But, you know, when you, when you first get into the faith, you know, I was aggressive. And so I just totally was like, hey, listen, you know. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I stepped out on faith and I benefited from it. Amazing. So you started Youth Voice Center. Um, it, amazing story of how it all got started. And then, and then you began to implement this program. I, I'm somebody who like, I just, I love, I love stories. Obviously that's probably why I loved that, that story of the donkey so much, because I just, I really relate to stories. You know, I'm just curious, like since you started doing this work, cause you, you've been doing this work now, what the goodness this is 2020, like 12 years now. So you've, right. you've been doing this work. And you've seen a lot, you've, you've interacted with a lot of kids. Is there any one story or, or two stories that you, you would feel comfortable to share of maybe a child uh, or a, a teen that you've, you've had the opportunity to work with and, you know, to kind of see kind of the fruits of your labor? Um, oh. Is anything in particular that stands out? Oh, yeah, yeah. Girl, you kidding me? I mean, <laughs> shoot. We would have to do part one and part two. I'm going to just hit you with two. Yeah. But listen, the, the fruits of my labor, of course. You know, I, I, I'll tell you this. The special sauce of the program, as a believer, I get to drop it on you like for the real way, but I kind of have to candy coat it when I go into the secular world. But what makes what I'm able to do in these rooms spectacular is I quiet my spirit and I allow the Holy Spirit to do its work. Mm -hmm. So I'm clear, you know, I take my time. I I, I get mentally connected to God before I enter the room. And then I'm able to move out of the way to the point where sometimes I'm speaking Mm -hmm. and something will come out of my mouth. And like, I'm having an out of body experience. Like, dude, where did that come from? Like, I don't even know. So I'm just letting you know the, the environment that I create. But um, I met a young lady. Uh, I want to use her name and make her listen to the podcast because I love her like a daughter. Aww. I call my kids. Any kid that goes to my program are my surrogate children. Mm. All right. I have two biological children, but the rest of these guys are my surrogate kids. But four generations, no one ever graduated high school. So imagine living in a household like that, you know? And so she took to me. And I said, you know what, Mariah, we're going to get you out of here. And so we started to work together. And it it was, you know, it was a long road. You know what I'm saying? It was a long road because there were times where she just wanted to give up. But I was her accountability partner. And so she kept striving. You know what I'm saying? And long story short, you know, this girl comes from a home that doesn't fit the profile of graduating. She was the first 
wow. out of four generations to walk across the stage. And I remember sitting in the audience and, and snot running out of my nose. Oh, I was crying. Goodness. Yeah, because what she did is what I want all my kids that come in with that type of profile to do. And it's what I was able to accomplish is she broke a cycle. Mm. See, what people don't understand is that poverty is not only financial, but people that grow up in poverty end up having a poverty mentality. Mm -hmm. So I needed to break Mariah, not only of the concept of not having money, but I had to break her of the concept of having that poverty mentality of always feeling like somebody owes you something, you know? And so we were able to work through it. Um, you know, she graduated. She didn't go to college. So we got her a diploma. I'm going to stop there. She kind of disappointed me with the college because she felt like she made it. But listen, she was the first of four generations no, to get out. It's you know? huge. Yeah. It's huge. But one more other guy. This guy, I got to tell you about, his name is Tone. And Tone and I are still friends. But Tone lived in foster care. Wow, I'm, I'm going to hit you with a serious one. He won't mind because I tell a story all the time. You know, I met this kid. He was, his uncle raped his mother. Hmm. And she had him and she didn't give him up. But then what she did is she started to hate him because he was a constant reminder of the rape. So brought him into the world. And then now that he's here, what, what, you know, so he ends up in foster care and we connect, you know, and we connect and I become his father slash brother. And, um, you know, I was able to mentor him. He went off to Paul Smith's college. He got his uh, culinary arts degree. He kept strumming along. He got his bachelor's degree. Um, and I got a nice picture of um, him graduating, getting his master's in business administration. Wow. You know what I'm saying? And so wow. he was also able to break the cycle. But I'm going to finish with this with Tone. The beauty of the going to his graduation, Molly, was I took him and his buddies out for dinner. And as we're sitting eating dinner, his buddies started to recite things that Tone told them that I had told Tone growing up. Wow. And it warmed my heart, wow. you know, that I had spoken to this boy's life and he felt like my words were powerful enough that he made sure that he shared them with his peers. That is so powerful. That is so powerful. And you speak to a really important point of the power of words and the power that words can have. And um, I mean, you know, Jane, the book of James tells us that like there's power in the tongue, there's life and death in the tongue. And, <sighs> and you can use words, you know, there's always that, that phrase like, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And like, that is false. Like words can, can build up and words can break down and, you know, growing up, you know, I don't, I don't want to speak for him. I want to be respectful of his story. But I mean, I have, you know, I've had friends that um, grew up in the foster care system and they, a lot of words have been used to, to break them down over the years. And um, a lot of them talk about the power of a leader or um, kind of a mentor in their lives speaking positive words over them and, and how that really helped to, to change them. And, you know, hearing how your words, you were speaking over him and then, and then his friends began to speak those words over. I mean, that is, that's powerful. I mean, I think about even with my, with my own kids, like my kids are almost seven and uh, four and every single day 
I tell them, I say, you are strong, you are brave, you are capable, you are kind, you are smart, you're hardworking, you're a good listener. You know, I say, you're a child of God. God knows your name. He goes before you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Like I say those things over them and I make them repeat it. And I'll be honest, even as a parent, some days when your four-year-old is driving you crazy, like it's hard to be like, you are kind, you're a good listener. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? But, but I know that the power of words and the power of speaking those things over, because the more that it's repeated, the more it begins to, to get ingrained to who they are yeah. um, and, and whose they are. And so I, I'm, I'm interested in, you know, knowing that you had a lot of coaches kind of speak into your life. Was there anything in particular that maybe a coach or a mentor kind of spoke over you that was that has stuck with you to this day? You know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a like a, a word, mm -hmm. but it's a mentality. And I say that because one of my most motivational um, subjects is uh, I speak to athletes and I talk about the edge. Mm. meaning what you can do as an athlete to separate yourself from the pack. Yeah. I say that to you because I m remember my first trophy ceremony, getting a trophy as a young boy, mm -hmm. knew nothing about trophies, and I got an MVP trophy. <laughs> now, not knowing it, you know, you're eight years old, everybody else got one trophy, but I got two. Yeah. And as an eight-year-old boy, I'm like, whoa, wait a second. If you are the best and you separate yourself from the pack, you get more. Mm -hmm. Now that didn't make me self-centered, but it set me on a trajectory of just grinding and wanting to be the best. And that I'm saying created a culture in me of trying to raise myself to a higher level, which prevented me from using my life and its situation as, as being a baseline. And so I bring that into my entire professional career. And it's not only for me to have that thought process, it's also for me to teach that to the young people that I'm, I'm, I'm involved with. You know, um, yeah. when you talk about your kids, I talk about that with my kids all the time. Yeah. You know, you want to stand out. And yep. so with the profession that I have, I don't want to stand out for an MVP trophy, but I love to walk into a school you know, like, check this out. I, I, I was in a, a school district where I had been there for a few years and my program changes the culture of the building. So like I come in, it's two days intensive. The kids, my group is made up of a cross section. So I have white, black, Latino, honor roll, struggling students, mm. 25 of them in a room to a two day experience. So imagine when I send them back out into the building, this culture is created with kids that don't normally talk to each other. Yes. So it starts to spread. And so I had a woman, I, had, I did an adult workshop in that community and a woman in the workshop says, now I know what it is. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She says, I walked into that school and I felt it. She felt the change in the environment with the students because my program creates empathy. And she was like, it, it just, you can feel the energy change. And so, you know, things of that nature keeps me on that path of separation and trying to make sure that you, you do the best. Yeah. Yeah. And we, you know, we live in such a time where we, we like to think about, I mean, we just, you can't look away from the news um, without seeing hatred and division and 
you know, whether it be racially or, or politically or religious backgrounds or socioeconomic status or north, south, east, west. I mean, it's just there's it's it's amplified. And I love how you talked about just this this ability to get these these kids together and you begin to break those barriers down. And it's not about and uh, you know, I talk about this all the time, like it is not about the colorblindness. No, that is damaging. Um, right. But it's about seeing each other and learning, to, like you said, learning to empathize and learning to listen and understand and seek to understand and, and get to a point where we can all empathize with each other's own humanity and, and our, our differing cultures and learn to appreciate you know, what makes us different and, and what makes us different makes us beautiful and, and all of that. And that's where you really begin to see cycles change and where you really begin to see us move forward. And that is, we live in a time right now where like that is so important and we can only do so much, you know, but we, we got to start in our hearts. We got to work in our homes, in our communities. And then, and then that spreads. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we try to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's what we now, try to do. Now, there's something I know that you 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 say a lot, um, and there's a you've got an entire kind of topic uh, talk around this, but I think that this is kind of a good segue. Is you talk about how change is in the show up. Yeah. Um, can you tell yeah. me a little bit about that? So it's something that I, I didn't steal it. It's something I went to a conference and um, it was phrased a little differently, and I made it to changes in the show up. The conference, I went to a branding conference, and what the guy was trying to say is that all too often, a person will talk themselves out of going to a conference to learn something, mm. not realizing that just going, you can just get something that small that can change everything. And, and it may not even be the information from the actual conference. So the right. conference that I went to and got that concept was... I went to the branding conference and on the way in on the plane, I took a selfie video of where I was going, why I was going. And don't you know, just from the selfie video, I never walked into the conference. I picked up business. I picked up business just from the selfie video. So I'm yeah. like, whoa. When he said, you know, when I correlated the change in the show up, yeah. I didn't even get into the conference. So I, I, I connect that to the kids because sometimes the fear of not coming prevents them from being able to go over the hurdle. Mm. So just show up, walk into the room. And what happens when I'm in a building, when a kid goes through the program, because it's, I'm telling you, it's deep. We get in, we go into really some deep, dark parts of their lives. And when a friend says, how was it? They can't explain to them the experience because mm -hmm. it's so, it's spiritual. Yeah. So what they always tell them is, I can't tell you, but you'll know it once you go. Yep. And I'd love to have a kid in the group when they're sitting there and they got this look on their face and I'll say, hey, buddy, what? what's up? And he says, this is what they were talking about. <laughs> yeah, he'll feel or she'll feel that essence. You know what I'm saying? And you're like, wow, yeah, yeah. And so the changes in the show up is the fact that you got to be able, fear is paralyzing. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So if you allow fear to control your life, you never move. Mm. So move. That's a word right there. That yeah. is a word right there. Yeah. Uh, well, 
you know, another thing that I wanted to just ask you a little bit about is, um, you know, obviously you have a beautiful family, two amazing kids, your wife, Rachel, and, uh, she has a book, uh, called God was holding uh, my hand. And, uh, she talks a little bit about your story and, um, I'd love for you to just kind of, well, first tell us about your family and, um, and then tell us a little bit about that book. Um, in addition to you have a book as well. Right, right. So, you know, my family, you know, what I love is when I tell a story about growing up in poverty, when I do it in a personal talk, I usually have a slideshow and I show a picture of the house that I grew up in. And if you see it, it's, you would think it's condemned, but I lived in it. Mm. And I say that to you because I talk about in the wintertime, I grew up not having heat in my apartment and my mom did these makeshift ways of making heat. One night when I was going to bed about 10 years old, tears running out of my eyes, I said to myself that if I ever had my own kids, my kids would not have to live the life that I was living underneath the blanket. And so as I went through life, it became also part of the catalyst of me being successful. When I couldn't make it or I felt I couldn't make it, my unborn children became why I pushed harder to succeed. Now, I tell you that because I graduated to a good life. My kids only know one life. You see what I'm on? My kids only know the, the life that I have now. And so, you know, it's, it's beautiful to be able to watch my kids grow up in the life that I dreamt of, mm. you know? And as a father, that's my responsibility. And I was able to do that. So, you mm. know, that's, that's really the structure of my home. As far as the book without giving too much away. And I have to tell this part because it's illustrated in the book, yeah. but I just got to tell it. You'll still get the whole book. Yeah. Let me tell you, tell you why we, we titled it God Was Holding My Hand. Check this out. I had a surgery and I'm, I'm, I'm loopy on the drugs, you know what I'm saying? And I'm making jokes and all of that. And my right palm is burning. Now I had surgery on my lower extremities. Nothing on my upper body should be affected. So I keep saying to the nurse, I keep saying, miss, miss, my right palm is burning, it's burning. She's like, I can't tell anything, Mr. Arterbury. You can't do anything to your right, your hand. So I just forget about it. And I go home and I'm recovering. And Molly, I'm sitting on my couch. And it's like I had a vision. And I think back to the recovery room. Oh, I got chills telling you this. I think back to the recovery room. Molly, there was a chair right in my recovery room right where my right hand would fall out the bed. God stopped in his busy schedule, sat in that chair, and he held my hand. My hand was burning. I'm that important to him that he stopped and he held my hand. And girl, oh, you should have seen me. I was a mess. I was a mess. When I realized that and I adjusted, I was like, oh, I mean, I already loved him, but I was like, whoa. And it all came together. He was in that room, sitting in that chair. I'm sorry, I have to... <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I'm no. I'm, oh. I'm, not, I'm not a big crier, and I've cried like three times this episode, this whole interview. Oh, I just want to say that um, that particularly encouraged me because I won't go, I won't go into the details, but. Um, when my husband and I and, and and some people who have listened to this this show or follow me on social media know uh, know the story, but in 2018, my husband and I we experienced uh, two back to back second trimester pregnancy losses, and uh, 
when I was in the hospital, uh, during the first one, um, I was, I had to go into surgery and, uh, while I was under anesthesia, I had a dream and, uh, I had a dream that it was, uh, my, my mom died when I was in high school and I had a dream that, uh, my mom was sitting in a rocking chair holding my baby boy and Jesus was standing right next to her. And they just looked at me and said, honey, we got him. And, uh, and that was it. Yeah. And I woke up in recovery in the recovery room. And it was the first thing out of my mouth when I woke up and I said it to the nurse and the nurse looked at me and she said, honey, the, the kind of anesthesia we gave you, uh, you people don't dream. And I said, no, no, That's <laughs> I, had I, a dream. Yeah. I had a dream. Um, so, uh, to know that you also had another experience similar to that, uh, that just, that ministered to me today. So yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's okay. Um, uh, oh, goodness. Uh, uh, well, this is the last question I want to ask you before we kind of go to the get to know you round. Um, and that is, you know, one of your big things is you just, you're always saying be encouraged and you are just one of the, you are like the chief encourager and you have this extremely positive outlook and I, one of the things that I think is so powerful right now is it can be really easy to let the darkness that surrounds us overwhelm us. And we should never downplay um, what is going on in the world. And we should absolutely have conversations about racism and uh, classism and ableism and sexism and, and all of the isms. And we should be dismantling those things. But at the same time, we, we can't let it steal our joy. We have to hold on to that. And, and you do such an amazing job of, of encouraging people amidst that. Um, and I'd love for you to just kind of share, like, how do you stay encouraged? What is it that you do that really keeps you focused on hope? I spend quality time with God. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about, you know, as a believer, I, I spend time. Mm -hmm. We talk. Yeah. And so I'm grounded with the fact that I'm very much into my faith. And because when you commune with him regularly, and as deep as I do, life is not easy, but I don't have to do much to hear his voice. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I'm being prompted as the day goes. So it's not often that I get lost. You know, anytime I feel like I'm strained, I've conditioned myself that if I'm moving off the block, I just call him. You mm -hmm. know, the Holy Spirit, listen, listen, talk to me. What do we need to do, right or left? And he'll tell me. I'm saying, so I think what keeps me encouraged is that and then so when i'm encouraging others i go to him for the answers you know i got molly in front of me she just told me a problem holy spirit what do i tell her mm. and when i ask him he delivers it and and 99.9 percent .9 of the time he delivers it in a way where the mollies of the world are able to take it and and eat it mm. Mm. that's that's good that's good all right this is one of my favorite parts of the show, and that's where we get to just ask a couple of fun, uh, get to know you questions. Not that we haven't been getting to know you over the last uh, 45 minutes or so, but um, just to, just to kind of dive a little, uh, get a little bit more towards the surface. Right. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, question number one is, if you had to eat the same meal for dinner every night for the rest of your life, what would it be? Pizza. Pizza. <laughs> Do you, what, uh, what kind of pizza? Meat lovers. Meat lovers. That is all right. High five right here. <laughs> all right. <laughs> because 
Uh, I am also a meat lover's pizza. It was funny. My my husband and I were at my in-law's house last weekend and I love my in-laws, but we had ordered pizza and my mother-in-law ordered a pizza for her and uh, my father-in-law. And it had like mushrooms and green peppers uh, and onions. And I was like, that is not pizza. That is a, a blasphemy right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to be over here with my sausage, my pepperoni, my bacon. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, that's hilarious. Okay. Uh, question number two. If someone narrated your life, who would you want to be the narrator? Denzel Washington. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Michael. I, knew, I know I like He's the best. He's the best. Um, yeah. What was your favorite TV show to watch growing up? Oh, you're going to, people are going to throw tomatoes at the, the podcast. It was a Cosby show. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a good show too. I know. Yeah. Oh, it was, man. It was a Cosby oh. show. I know. It was a good one. It was a good yeah, it one. Was. Actually, it was. funny enough, when I was in labor uh, with my first daughter, the Cosby show was just like on TV in the, in the labor and delivery room. And my husband was watching it and he's laughing. And I remember like, I laughed at one part and then I just went, nope, nope, we're going to have to turn it off. Like I can't yeah. do this right now. But I remember that so vividly that the Cosby show was on. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, what is a dream that you have yet to achieve? You know, I would like to speak on more stages. Mm. You know, I do public speaking. I don't do as much as I want. Yeah. You know, um, I, I don't like to covet. So I don't want to say I want to be like another evangelist. Mm -hmm. But I see the big crowds with certain evangelists. And I, part of me says I can do that. Yeah. So I would love to be able to speak in larger venues. So that's my yeah. dream. All right. I, I believe you can do that. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. And then my last question is the question I ask all my guests. And that is, Michael, what does it mean uh, to you to run a business with purpose? It means to leave, the business has to leave an essence with all participants of how when they leave you, they felt that they've been touched deeply and emotionally in mm. a place they've never been touched before. Mm. Mm, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Michael, this has truly been, um, it has been my honor to have you on the show today, truly. And uh, I am cheering you on. I can't wait to see what you continue to do and, and all of the other thousands and thousands of lives that you impact. And um, just thank you uh, for the listeners. I will be sure to have all of Michael's information along with how you can support Youth Voices Center if you want to bring them to your school. We'll have all that information in the show notes. Michael, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Molly. Thank you for having me. Okay, I would love to know something that you loved about Michael or this episode or something that you learned. If you do, let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And of course, don't forget to use that show hashtag, which is hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you are a first time listener of the show, hey friend, be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring so many incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you are one of my regular listeners, thank you so much for tuning in week in and wake out. Your support means more to me than you will ever begin to understand. Now be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, 
wherever you listen to podcasts and click that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a new episode of the show. And if you would take a moment to leave a review, hopefully it's five stars. It would just mean the world to me. It just helps me to know how the show is helping you or personally impacting you. As always, this show is produced by the incredible team at Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening. Now go do something good with purpose on purpose.